1: I love it. Um, we are still in our truth bomb series. It's been going on for months, and they keep asking the team if we want to move on. And we're like, no, we have way too many bombs to drop still. So I, I, I. I'm going to be sad when this ends because I have like three more messages I want to preach on this topic. But um, So yeah, we're in our Truth Bomb series. and the end of the day, the truth is that the world needs the truth. The truth is that people need Jesus Christ. And the truth is that the church, us, we are the hope of the world. And I want to share a little bit around that today. And I, I believe I shared this story a few weeks ago when I was here last around a tithe message. But I really felt to share it again today because... Uh, it really impacted me and and i and i just i want i want to give it an opportunity to be shared in a message and i can just build this to be what i am praying for is a message that will spark something in you to do things different than you maybe have been doing them so exciting so Many of you know. So my husband John and I, we were married, and then we we came to this church. All of my children have been born in this church. Uh, my daughter's turning eleven on Wednesday, and my boys are turning fifteen and sixteen in September and October. So. They have been in this church since they were in my belly. And uh, you know, I was even so audacious in the early days where I would actually change poopy diapers on the front row on my lap. When the babies were that little to fit in this space, I'm like, why did no one stop me? That's so weird. (laughs) Um, You know, I'd have to go on stage sometimes and the baby wouldn't be passed to someone. I'd be holding the baby like leading services and things like that. So literally my children have been raised in this house. And what I love about that, and this is many of our stories, we've been here for years, uh, that we we have all, including my children, have witnessed miracles and the transformational power of God year after year. My kids have been surrounded by people of faith they love the church like there are so many testimonies that they have witnessed and miracles they have witnessed with their own eyes cancer tumors literally disintegrating and the pictures are up on the board like this was this week and now it's this week and it's completely gone they have seen people set free from anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts from drug addiction from hopelessness and and bitterness and all of these things they see it every week with their own eyes they've even experienced their own miracles in in their healing they've been healed of allergies and and blood issues and all these things so so it's amazing to be able to just that's a part of you like you believe God can do the impossible like the Bible says because you've seen it with your own eyes so my children have been surrounded by this and and I just want to encourage you today maybe you're new or maybe you're here and you've been here a long time I want to encourage you that a lot of those testimonies are going to be your testimonies They're gonna be your testimonies, and I can tell you why that is a true fact, is because we are a church that actually believes in the fullness of the gospel message. You know, the gospel message where Jesus is God's will and action in the earth. He only did what the will of the Father was, and he went about healing all, preaching the gospel, and casting demons out of people. And we are actually a church that believes that God is still in the business of doing those three things. And so you're gonna be set free in this house, healed in this house, transformed in this house, be saved in this house. It's incredible what the church does, you know, and so it was, it was no surprise because we believe in all of those things that it was a, what is an ordinary Sunday for us, but still it's so extraordinary. I can't forget that it is so extraordinary, the things that take place every time we gather together as the church. Uh, There was probably a couple months ago now, ending a 12 o'clock service, and there was a young lady in high school that was waiting to uh, talk with me, and she wanted me to pray for her. And my daughter's obviously there with me because church is about to end. And so she just started talking to me and and she looked affected by the world. And I don't know if I have to explain that, Um, but she was carrying a level of darkness um, in her appearance. And she began to tell me that she she was shaking uncontrollably, that she has so much anxiety. It dominates everything. She can't sleep. Um, And then she talked about how she had been involved with drugs but wanted to quit but didn't feel like she could, how she had been involved in a little bit of witchcraft and things like that. And so it was like obvious to me right away that this girl needs to be set free from demonic oppression, one of the three things of the fullness of the gospel message. And so the moment I said, in the name of Jesus, that's all I said. I didn't start saying fancy things or anything like that. All I did was say the name of Jesus. And this in this young teenage girl began to manifest the demonic spirits. And we ended up having to stop the deliverance because I wanted to make that kind of just protect her, you know, from people watching. And so we ended up um, with Pastor Teresa just going and ministering to her in one of our ministry rooms. And she was fully set free from all these demonic spirits, spirits of death, self-hatred, suicide, witchcraft. And we were able to meet with the family and get a care plan in order to make sure she keeps her freedom and all of that. And so, you know, so my daughter was able, she witnessed that on the Sunday. And then on the Wednesday, the same young lady had brought her friends to church who also looked like they had been tarnished by the world. She's on the front row, worshiping Jesus, lifting her hands. She looks entirely different. A light in her eyes, a smile on her face. She was excited. She was cheering and clapping. And she has been in church every single Sunday and every single Wednesday ever since. And she looks entirely different. She's the cutest little thing with blue hair. And I I just, I'm so grateful for this house. And so my daughter, you know, she um we get in the car and she's like, mom, that was the same girl, right? Um, from Sunday till then, and and I'm like, yes, like, how good is God? And we're like, how good is God that he was pursuing her and he was willing to set her free from demonic spirits? And look at her. She was like, she seems so happy. I'm like, I know. Like, it's so amazing that we get to be a part of people's journeys, you know? And so then she just kind of goes quiet for a minute and then, you know, we're in the car and she's 10, you know, and and she said, mom, we should get two churches in LA. I'm like, "Mm, okay, why? And she says, because they seem messed up. <laughs> they need help. Maybe Pastor Yurgi will get another vision of having like 30 churches. Because we have a vision of 16 right now. But she's like, maybe Pastor Yurgi will get another vision of having like 30 churches. Or maybe a couple in every state in America. People are going to want to move to America because of our church. But we would just have to get people willing to move to L.A. and Hollywood. And I just don't know if people would be willing to do that. No offense to any L.A.ians in the building. I don't know how L.A. got in her, her mindset at that moment, but it was. It seems like it could be just a fun, sweet little comment from a 10-year-old. However, I think it's actually very profound and prophetic that my 10-year-old, because she has been surrounded by an atmosphere of faith, power of God, and transformation, that at the age of 10, she recognizes that the church, you and I, are the hope of the world. And she knows we need to go into all the world, go into every state to reach people for Jesus if we're gonna turn this nation, around for Jesus and get rid of this wickedness and darkness that bring the light and the life of Jesus Christ. The church truly is the hope of the world. But I think sometimes we look at the state of the world, we can be overwhelmed by the level of wickedness and darkness and sin and corruption and the agendas to rob children of their identity, to, to destroy what marriage is meant to be. And all of these things, you can feel overwhelmed, And sometimes you can even begin to feel hopeless. But we must remember that because we know Jesus, we carry the hope of the world on the inside of us. So we don't have to be hopeless. We can be encouraged knowing that we can actually change things for the better. That we are the light of the world, the Bible says. When we go out into the world, we light it up. And we change the face of what this city and this state and this nation can look like if we carry the Jesus we have on the inside of us out into the dark world. We should be filled with hope knowing that we have the answer to every human problem on the planet because it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us this. When we become saved, when we follow Jesus, this is who we are now. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Like that is very strong language Sorry. Um, it's very strong language. Like, God, we, we're supposed to implore people out there to come to know Jesus, to appeal to them, to come to know Jesus. We are his ambassadors, his representation in the earth. You are representing Jesus Christ wherever you go. And you can either represent him well or you can poorly represent him. You know, and I think one of the most sobering and terrifying verses to me in all of the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It's a very small but powerful statement. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Ouch. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm telling all of you, all the people out there, just look at my life if you want to know what a Christian looks like. Look at my life if you want to know who Jesus is and how he loves and how he behaves. Like, look at my life. Like, wow, that is so much pressure and at times we don't represent him well and i need you to understand that that's actually okay cuz we never claim to be perfect we are being perfected until jesus christ comes back we are a work in progress um, Yen Mei was sharing at our connect when sunday last week and she said oh i don't i don't want to go to that church people were saying i don't want to go to church they're a bunch of hypocrites and she just says well there's always room for one more <laughs> <laughs> and really like we're, it's not that we're hypocrites. not that we're trying to be hypocrites, but we're not ever going to be perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. We're going to do things we, we, we regret. But that's the beauty of Christianity. There is always forgiveness. His mercies are new every morning, the Bible says. So you don't have to be perfect before you share the love of Jesus with someone. If they accuse you of being a hypocrite, say, that's the whole point. I remember I was 22. And... I was a counselor aide at at this school system, and I remember there was all these girls in my office, and I knew Jesus, but I also wasn't really, like, walking with him and maybe behaving the way I should be as a Christian. And so I intentionally chose to never mention anything about God or church. They would always ask me what I did on the weekend, and I would never say church because I knew I wouldn't be a good person representation of jesus christ to them and i didn't want to look hypocritical but i remember the day realizing i may be messy but they're even messier than me and at some point i just got to let them know that that's okay and i'm i follow jesus and and when i finally i remember the day going what did you do this weekend i was like i went to church they're like "Ah, shut up and sit down they're hilarious They were this funny group of girls they just harassed me 24 7 Oh, they would always just tell me to shut up, and um, I'd be walking by their office, I'm like, "How's your like? Just keep moving, keep moving, go to your desk." They were hilarious. They were actually really funny. Like it was funny, but I remember the day I, I decided I'm going to tell them, and then then I got the funny jokes. Oh, you little hypocrite! And I, that I had to explain myself. But I remember going, I have to finally tell people who I am, even though I'm still a work in progress, you know. And so, um. I just I just felt like I needed to share that with you because I think a lot of times people don't want to tell people that they're a Christian or a churchgoer or anything like that because they think they're going to be seen as a hypocrite. And again, that's not the point of Christianity. Um, but the title of my message this morning is "Love and War," love and war. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead and then ascended back into heaven and he sent us the Holy Spirit. It was the biggest game of tag you're it of all time. It's like tag you're it. You're now my ambassadors in the earth. It's your responsibility to fulfill in the great commission which is to preach the gospel to save the, or to heal the sick and to cast out demons. He's like, "You're it. We are it." All of us. Did you know that? We're it. Tag, you are it. You are his ambassadors. And we have to understand that there is a battle over every human soul on the planet. There's a battle of good versus evil, life and death, heaven and hell over every single person on planet earth. And that is why we share messages to help encourage you to go out and be ministers of reconciliation, to preach the gospel, to invite people to church, to pray for somebody. Because we're literally thinking about life and death for people, an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven, and I don't know about you, but I physically couldn't. I, when it was like, oh, you know, when people say like, go to hell, or even, oh, wait, do you know what you're saying? Do you guys realize that eternity after we die is for eternity? That I would, the most wicked person in the world, I cannot bring myself to wish that they would go to hell. I would pray that they would have a, an encounter with God even on their deathbed. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to spend an eternity that never ends. That's what that means. Burning and torment. Never. And that's, that's why, we, why we are the hope of the world. We can help save people from that eternity, separated from God and hell. There is a battle over every human soul. Revelations 12.12 says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. And there is great wrath towards you because you were created in the image of God. Every single one of you were created in the image of God. And the devil hates God, which means he hates you and he has a plan to destroy your life. John 10.10 says that, that... The devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy your life, but God has come to give you life and life abundantly. And so, so do we understand that there is a devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, that says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I don't know about you, but it's getting a whole lot easier to see who the devil is devouring these days in this culture and in this climate. It's like the devil ain't even hiding anymore. He's not even hiding. He's out in the open and parading about for all to see. So I knowing this, that there is a plan over everybody's life and the devil wants to destroy it, but that God has a plan for life and life abundantly. Every single time you share the love of Christ with someone, every single time you are kind or you are loving or you instill hope or courage or invite someone to church or offer to pray for somebody, you are launching a direct attack against the enemy's plans to destroy that person's life. That's why you we have to understand there is warfare around reaching souls. There is a battle over souls and you are launching a direct attack against the kingdom of darkness every single time you open your mouth or show the love of Christ to somebody. So you can kind of get an understanding why that maybe you feel a little bit insecure around it or intimidated around it or you you have the courage to do it and then for some reason you back down and you, you can't bring yourself to share the gospel. It's because we aren't just warring against our own insecurities. We're warring against the kingdom of darkness. But thank God we serve the kingdom of light you know the bible tells us in second corinthians 10 3 through 5 for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have the King of kings and the Lord of lords on our side. And you are the light of the world. And it is our job to go light the world up and push back darkness. Amen. Amen. today I just want to share a few things with you that I think will help us all and encourage us all to be more bold and courageous when we go out into this dark world to be the light, to share the love of Christ, to invite someone to church, to pray for someone. So the first thing I want to share is when we approach these situations, it's going to be a whole lot easier when we realize that number one, most people are desperate and searching for the truth. We are in a world with a truth deficit, and people are desperate for the truth. They are in search of it. They just don't know it's found in a person, Jesus Christ. So we had the privilege of, uh, my husband and I, we had dinner with beautiful Michael and Michelle Cole. And they attend our Balboa location, and they are amazing. They over they they launched and oversee all of our prime ministries, sixty plus. They have connect groups. They organize all the parties and the get-togethers, and all these things are an incredible couple. And Michael Cole is seventy-eight this year. And we I, I realized I don't really know a lot of Michael Cole's story, and so we were at dinner and we were asking him about you know his upbringing, and he said that he he did not grow up in church. And in a very difficult childhood. And then in his teen years and later years he got involved with heavily in gangs. And I'm like, Michael Cole, you were a gangbanger? And he's like, I know, and and so and you know he's a seventy-year-old, this beautiful man, telling me this, and I'm like, it's hard to imagine now, but um, he he was just saying like he was just in a really dark place, making really bad decisions, but he and he knew he needed a way out, and he just didn't know what that was, and he said, I just began my search for something more. I knew there was something out there, I just didn't know what it was. So he began this search to change his life. He was searching, you know, for religion or a God. He didn't know, and and Michael Cole encountered someone that was in the new age religion which is rooted in witchcraft and so but it presents itself very peaceful and loving and warm and all of the things but that's that's not the truth you're being deceived and so he said for 20 years he spent in the new age church giving his whole being to it, I mean, served on, did all the things in the church, and he said, I I threw myself entirely in, but he said, after 20 years, I still had no peace in my life, and all these things this religion promises me I wasn't experiencing, and I didn't, I still didn't have hope, I didn't have joy. For 20 years, Michael Cole spent his life in the New Age religion, and after 20 years, a Christian man invited Michael Cole to church, and he told him about Jesus. He's like, "That that sounds amazing. Yeah, I want to go to your church on Sunday." And so he he went to church that Sunday with beautiful Michelle Cole. And at the end of the service, the, the pastor invited people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness, and he went to go forward, and he said that Michelle grabbed him and said, "No." And so he he reluctantly he stayed in his seat that Sunday. But then he, the same thing happened the next week. The pastor invited people forward to receive Jesus as their Savior. And he looked at Michelle and he said, I don't know about you, but I'm going forward whether you come with me or not. And so he, he, he boldly went down to the front of the, the congregation to receive Jesus. And Michelle sat in her seat and she said a beautiful older lady in the church tapped her on the shoulder and said, sweetie, don't you want to go with him? And she said, she burst into tears and said, Yes, yes, I do. And so she walked her down to the front. Both Michael and Michelle Cole received Jesus that day on that altar. And they have spent the next decades and decades of their life serving Jesus, going to war and to battle over human souls since that moment. They're incredible ministers of the gospel because they had, they had felt what it felt like to be so lost in searching. And so they, ha- they are so passionate about reaching people that find themselves in that same situation. And so it's for love we go to war for people. We go to war over souls. You know, and and I love that story so much, but I also hate that story very much because I just thought to myself, for 20 years, there was a man that was searching for the truth and there was not a person to tell him about Jesus Christ. And then I thought to myself, how many Christians did Michael Cole encounter over those 20 years? And none of them had the courage to at least extend an invitation to church or tell them about Jesus. And I just want to ask ourselves the question: like, how many Michael Cole's do we pass by every day? That they're searching and they're hungry for the truth, and you have the truth on the inside of you. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10:14, and I never can get through this verse without getting emotional, but it says. How can they call on him, Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless someone tells them. Like, can we be that someone for somebody? Can we be that someone for the Michael Coles that we pass by every day that are in our workplace, that, that are, go to our school, and or in the park, or the coffee shop, or the restaurant? Can we be that someone for somebody, that Michael Cole that needs the truth? Everybody needs the truth. Everybody needs Jesus. People that need Jesus can wear three-piece designer suits, and drive fancy cars. People that need Jesus might be wearing a T-shirt with baby spit up on it and a Cheerio stuck to their butt. Like people that need Jesus can be wearing, have, have blue dyed hair and wearing black and have mutilation scars on their bodies. Everyone, they look so different, but they all need the same thing. They need Jesus and you have Jesus on the inside of you. Will you be that someone for somebody? And so knowing that the majority of people are searching for the truth, it, it should make it easier to approach these situations knowing that they're searching. The second thing that will help us have more courage and boldness to step out and minister to someone is number two, we need to be prepared for battle. We need to be prepared for battle because like I said, there is a war over everyone's soul, so we need to be prepared. Um. Many of you, if you've been around, know that before I came into ministry, I was a deputy probation officer at the Hall of Justice and I worked in the violent crimes unit for seven years. And in that job, you are constantly in high stress situations. And so you learn how to stay calm. You learn how to respond, not react. Um, you learn how to spot potential trouble, and then you you visualize, what will I do if this happens? You always are thinking, what would I do if this happens? You're just kind of trained for that. Because I had to go into maximum security prisons, interview people across a table, there was not always bars. One time I got locked in a jail cell um, for three hours, because they went in lockdown, because there was a fight. And I was just having to sit there with a violent criminal for three hours. So you just learn to, like, function in that environment. And the the training doesn't really leave you because you're just, like, I've just been trained to see problems. Like, my secret dream is I wish I could be a pastor and on our security team. I love, I love security. I'm I'm so, I'm good at it. I'm I'm not even going to apologize for my boldness. I'm so good at it. Like, I have been trained, like, spidey senses to, like, Know if someone's off or something, trouble's coming. And so I'll literally, like, just even glance and right away, I'll be like, um, tell security that the person in yellow is probably gonna cause problems. And I'm usually right. <laughs> not you, not you, not you. You're in yellow, you're lovely, and you're perfect. But I'm just saying like I'm usually right, like I sense it. And so I actually spoke at one of our last security trainings and I was like living my best life. I was like, I love this. But I I think about security scenarios often because I actually know there's a lot of people that hate us. There's a lot of people that hate people that represent Jesus Christ because they're so bound in darkness. They hate the truth on the inside of us. And so there's a lot of people that hate us. We get death threats, fun things. We've had the FBI at our home accusing my husband of doing very bad things on January 6th, but thank God he was actually getting a vasectomy that day. So he had an alibi. But people do that. They accuse us. They file false police reports against us. And so we have to, like, be on guard. Like, there are, there are wicked people out there, you know. And so I'm always so, I have to think about security because I know we, we have enemies. We have real enemies out there. And so I've, I've thought about scenarios. I've visualized scenarios. And what would I do in those scenarios um, if something were to ever happen. And it was a couple months ago on a Wednesday night at Baboa campus. And Pastor Jeff was preaching, so he remembers this very well. Um, You know, I was, John was home, not feeling well that night, so I was leading the service by myself up here, you know, doing my thing, and um, I was about to introduce Pastor Jeff, and so I had everyone stand on their feet, so there's a lot of movement, people are clapping and and all that, getting excited to invite Pastor Jeff up, and then I I just glanced down, I just saw movement out of the corner of my eye, and I just look, and there's a woman standing about three feet from me, she was carrying a Bible, she was yelling at me and demanding my microphone, and so I just for a second was like, how did you get here? And then, and then her counterpart was stopped on the floor. But immediately, I just went to grab her. And then she stepped away from me, so then I stepped again and I tried to grab her. I had full intention of pulling her towards me with such force to throw off balance and I was gonna throw her down over my knee. That was what I was gonna do. And, and, But before I could do that, our security team intervened. I mean, I kind of wanted to fulfill my plan, but I was happy they intervened. They did a great job. But, I mean, and then she had to be carried. She's getting carried off, and, and then she caused a whole lot of ruckus. They had to call the police. It was a big thing. But I remember just as she's being carried off, like, oh my gosh, you never know what's gonna happen in church, but aren't we, let's all just pray that she'll come to know the Lord one day and she'll be great and it'll be really good and everyone's kind of like laughing nervously. (laughs) And then I was just like, but aren't we excited for the word tonight? And I just kind of like went right back into like leading and invited Pastor Jeff up. And I remember getting off the stage and all my service leaders who were on stage leading were like, oh my gosh, that was so stressful because they're thinking, what would I have done? What would I do in that certain scenario? And they were like, we were so stressed for you. Are you okay? And I was like, actually, I didn't even skip a beat. I go, my heart's not even racing. It was so second nature to me because I have visualized that scenario many, many times in my head. How I would react and what I would do if anyone ever jumped on the stage to get me. And so it was like I didn't even have to think about it. And it didn't even unnerve me. Because I would already planned and visualized and prepared for that scenario. Same for that type of encounter. Same for the spiritual encounter when you were going to reach people. If you plan and you prepare and you already know that you're going to do it, it takes all the nerves out of it. I already know when I leave my house I will be inviting someone to church that day or offering a prayer or telling about Jesus. I have six pack of invica- invitation cards and all five of my personal which you can grab these on the way out because I have forgotten them when transferring purses so now I just keep a stack in all my purses um, and so I always have them on hand like I know every day that is what I'm going to do so so it helps so much to know that that's what you plan to do because it actually there's then there's no nerves over we're deliberating like should I or shouldn't I or you're not waiting for all the stars to align where it looks like you have a way in it's like no if, if there's not a way in I'm going to create a way And now, so now I'm not going. Am I going to do this? I am. So now my whole focus when I go out into the world, at every restaurant, everywhere I go, in the grocery store lines, I am just looking for a way in to connect with them because I already know I'm going to do that. Like I hand my cards out, and I'm like, I know you're checking all the groceries out, but I just think you're really great, and I want you to. If you ever want to come to church, you should come to our church. You're amazing, and I just do that, and I I can't, and I go off because I don't have time to get into a conversation with everybody. But I just know how. Uh, that I'm going to do it. So, uh, so I'm not waiting for a level of comfortability. It's like I'm going to create the most epic way into your life so it feels at least a little less awkward when I do extend an invitation to church. And so, plus, I prayed for opportunities. I pray for opportunities, and guess what? When we pray for opportunities, God's going to give them to us. Yes. So, listen. This, this is so amazing. This scripture, Colossians four three through six, it talks about his praying that God would open to us a door for the word. Wow, to speak the mysteries of Christ, that our speech would be seasoned with grace and salt, and that we may know how to give an answer to those who are lost. We pray for open doors to share the love of Christ with people, and then we have to trust that God's going to give us the answers or what to say when he provides those opportunities to us. It's like a different spin on Matthew 7, 7 through 8, where it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. So we've asked for opportunities, and now we're going to seek a way in, and then we knock and then the doors are open to us, do you realize that 99% of the time, this goes well? I mean, I've got a few like, no, or like a no thank you, absolutely not. But 99% of the time, it goes well. So the odds are for us, because I do it every day, guys. Like the odds are for you when we step out and do these things. You know, and there's 100% of the time, all of these opportunities that I have all start the same way. 100% 100% of the time through a conversation. You strike up a conversation. So I talk to everybody wherever I go. My kids hate it. Hate it. But then they're like, like, they're like, oh, you're so embarrassing, mom. I'm like, you are not allowed to be embarrassed to me. They were going to hell and they need Jesus. I literally tell them, also, I'm like, you will not be embarrassed of your mother. I am helping save their lives. I do, I have all the time, I'm like, I'm not embarrassing. Like, I just constantly have to tell my kids, because they just don't like that I feel the need to talk to everybody about everything. And, and it starts with a conversation, a compliment on something that they're wearing. And I, and I, mean, I am genuine in it. I'm not going to tell you I like your hair if I don't like it. So I'm going to compliment you on something that I do like. Or, like, you're waiting in line, and there's a scenario happening over here that's funny. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, look at that. Kids, like, you know, we all experience. You know, I do, we just, just say anything just start talking just start talking like i'll be in a grocery store line and they're like getting all this stuff i'm like well it looks like you're having a party i was like can i come you know and then we're like like, what are you doing and then people have asked me that question i'm like actually yeah we're throwing this huge party for all of our church leaders and we're all going to come over we're going to do this we're going to do this so i just any way i can i'm just and like i addressed it before it's so easy everyone asks they don't know what else to talk about they ask you what you did for the weekend do we ever say church the easiest in of all time church but I don't just go oh I went to church because I don't give them time to like cut me off I'll be like oh my gosh it, I went to church and this message was about this and it totally impacted my life and, and I just start so like, they can't even stop me <laughs> so I'm just like I went to church and then they just go eh, you have to then keep going keep going don't, don't let them cut you off. Like, you just, you have to start a conversation. Like, I literally will be like, oh, um, oh, how's your day going? And they'll say something like, oh, good. And I'm like, you don't seem too convincing. <laughs> and then I'll just say, like, actually, is everything okay? Like, literally, you didn't convince me with that. I'm good. And then half the time, these strangers just start telling about something terrible that's going on in their life. And then I just say, can I just pray with you? Then I give them a church card. It's really easy. It's so easy, you start a conversation. A lot of this is like, oh hey, are you okay? Or encouraging someone, or being kind, asking them about themselves, what they like to do. Find common ground and then stay there and then pray that God will give you an opportunity or you can create an opportunity. Visit the same places, the Italian place by my house and the sushi place by my house. Everybody knows me, I'm the church girl and they've all got an invitation to church and then I go back in and I'm like, still haven't seen you in church, I'm gonna get you one day. You know, like, and then they just laugh. It's just fun. We have fun. And, and at the end, of the day, even at restaurants, if we don't have a time to build rapport because they rush off and this and that, I'll just be so bold at the end. Like, I do funny things. Like, they start. And because we've been fun and nice and kind, I can do these kinds of things. And I tip well. And so you may not be able to, like, fully share the gospel with them. But at least you leave them with a good impression of what a Christ follower looks like. And so they'll bring the bill and they rush off. And I'll, I'll, I'll be like, no, don't leave me. And I'll, I will grab their arms. And, and they're like, and, and, and I just said, I haven't had a chance to invite you to my church yet. I do it all the time. Or like, hey, I know you were busy and I didn't get an opportunity to even ch- chat at all. But just, I just wanted to give you this church card. If you ever are looking for an amazing community, we have so much fun together, I'd love to invite you. And I just then I have to leave because they have to leave. So it's, it, we, you just have to have a conversation. Find common ground. And if you can't find it, you are responsible to create it. Because it's our mandate and our mission. Wherever we go, we leave our home. We are on mission as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so here's an example of what I did recently. So um, we, we were signing loan documents for our house. This is like a month ago. And so the gal comes in our home. She's all business. She's super sweet, but all business. like they just keep... Like, passing papers. I'm like, my hand's cramping. My hand's cramping. There's, like, so many signatures. So it's just all business. She is excellent. She is just firing off. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's about to leave. Like, I can tell, like, this is ending. And I had no in at all to even say anything outside of signing papers. And so as I'm signing, you know, I just go, oh, and this was all intentional. This was my plan. I said, oh, have you ever, like, had to go in someone's home and it's, like, creepy? Because I'm going, you just walked into my house. Like, what if I was a weirdo? Like, this is weird. Like, she has to go into all these strangers' houses. So I was just, I asked the question with intent. I said, oh, have you ever, like, been, like, an, a weird situation where you felt, like, unsafe or something. She's like, yes. Oh, my gosh, this one time I had such a weird vibe. It's happened twice. She called her coworker, gave her the address, and said, if I don't call you, like, so she would vibe I She's like, I'm going to call you in 10 minutes and then just hang up to let you know I'm okay. Or whatever. So she was like, yeah, I had to do that a few times because, like, if something happened to me, I wanted to know people what house I was in and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is so crazy. I was like, I, I used to have to experience that, too, because I was a, a deputy probation officer, and I wanted to go in these maximum security prisons just sitting across the desk from these criminals and I was always like nervous like and you get these vibes and she's like no way and so I asked her if she was ever uncomfortable because then I was going to tell her I used to have to be uncomfortable as a deputy probation officer but then I knew I was going to say but I don't have to worry about that anymore because now my husband and I are so blessed we get a pastor one of those amazing churches in San Diego and she's like no way what church So we started talking, and she's like, I need to come to church. She's like, I can't find a good man. She goes everywhere. She was like, I just want a good man. Where is chivalry? Where is character anymore? She goes, I go on a dating thing, and everyone just wants to have sex with you on the first date. I'm so over it. I'm like, you should totally come to my church. We have amazing guys at our church. (laughs) You know, we've been texting. So it's like, but that's how I create an opportunity. There was none. It was just da-da-da-da-da. But I'm like, God. So I pray, and then God will then, I, I seek to find that. He gives me the words to say. He helps me, and then he opens the door. But then we have to realize there are open doors everywhere we go, but then the big thing is, are we actually going to step through them? And I am guilty myself that there's been so many doors presented to me. I have seen people. One time I remember just walking past a girl downtown. She was just sitting on a, a ledge, and, and I, um, I, the Holy Spirit, did I share this story, was that the last service? Last service, last service yes. Um, sometimes that happens to you. Um, she was just sitting on this ledge. And I, I walked by her. And, like, the, the God gave me, like, a kind of like a download of, like, something she was experiencing and walking through. But I'm like, this is, because I usually don't walk up to strangers. I do it through relationship where I have a little bit of time to build rapport. I rarely just walk up to someone like, do you know Jesus? Like, I don't do that. And so I, I, um, I, I walk, God gave me a word for her. And I kept walking in my heels for three blocks downtown. I kept walking. And the Holy Spirit was like, are you for reals right now? You pray for opportunities, you ask for them. I just gave you one. I even gave you a vision and a prophetic word for her and you just passed her by. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I'm like, <laughs> so I walk back in my heels, three blocks. I'm like, I know this might seem random. I'm really not a weird person. But when I walked by you, I go, I actually passed you and I really felt convicted and I had to come back. Because as I walked by you, I felt the Lord tell me this, this, and this, and you're going through this. And she just bursts into tears. And I just prayed and I just said, you need, you need something in your life, and it's Jesus. And and then I invited her to church, and she's like, I live by the East Campus. She's like, I'll probably go to that one. So, But again, I don't always do that. Sometimes I keep walking. Can I tell you, I am grieved every single time that I do that. And I always, I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Please, Lord, send someone else into their life, because I know you love them. And I'll always do that. But there are open doors everywhere. We just have to have the boldness and the courage to actually walk through them. <clears throat> And so a couple months ago, a few of us pastors were in Tennessee, Nashville, at a conference. And um, we were there for two days. And then Pastor Katie was with us, and she used to live in Nashville. So she wanted to show us everything in between sessions. So we're, like, going to all these different restaurants. she's like, I have to show you what a honky-tonk is. I'm like, okay. You know, and there, there are these places. they are, like, way too many people and a small, trashy Building, and then there's different music on every floor that you go in. And she's like, Don't you love it? I'm like, It's basically like a bar with loud music in three places. Okay. But she was just like, fun. Like, this is what you do. This is like the, these are all like rising stars and all these things. So, so we're running around, running around. She's like, Just eating it up as much as we could. Didn't get to bed till like 2 a.m. the last night. Had to get up at 6 a.m. for a flight. So, I was exhausted. But I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to sleep on the plane. So, I'm just going to live it up in Nashville. Like, I'm going to sleep on the plane. So, I get on the plane and I start to close my eyes and then I uh, just kind of glance because I felt like shaking and I realized this young gal in her 20s was like shaking next to me. She was like sweating and she was like gripping the um, seat things. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, are you okay? And she's just like, I've never been on a plane in my life and I'm so afraid, I I keep thinking we're gonna crash. And, And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, and so I just start talking to her. So, so I realized she was actually a Christian from this little small town. And she was just the sweetest thing. But over the next two hours, she's just talking to me about, oh, how she's afraid of the water. And then she, ha- she was afraid she was going to get hurt again in soccer. So she stopped playing soccer. And it was all this fear. And I'm like, what is going on? And then you're, then I'm being presented with this level of fear. And so I just, I just said, sweetie, like, do you realize that you're not to be living in fear? Like, this is not who God created you to be. This is not normal. I said, do you know anything about, like, demonic oppression or spirits? And I said, usually when a spirit of fear is overtaking and overwhelming somebody, there was a a point where that fear came in that the enemy used to, to, that you know, just kept, you know, uh, it became a stronghold because she just kept thinking about all these fearful things and then it overtook her and now it determines every decision that she's going to make. And so I just talked about that there's a spirit of fear and that I had been set free from a spirit of fear been, having been plagued with it for over a decade. Like it dictated everywhere I went or where I wouldn't go, what I would do. Sometimes I wouldn't want to leave my house because I had this spirit of fear and I was fully set free with one prayer with one prayer, with someone that understood how to cast out a spirit of fear. So I started talking to her about and we actually, over the conversation, I was like, well, at some point you became afraid. And I said, when, when was the last time you remember not being afraid? And she was like, oh, I used to be crazy. I would do I would do anything and everything. And I'm like, well, when did that stop? And, and I said, let's just pray and ask God. And so she's like, oh my gosh, I was eight years old, and I watched my four-year-old nephew drown in a pool. And from that moment, she's like, I've never gotten in the water since. And she, talking, I was like, That's it. That's how the spirit of fear took root. It was a trauma. The devil is wicked and evil, and he and he takes advantage of that trauma and brings this fear into your life, where now it's consuming you. And so we just talked about it. We prayed, and then I sent her all these messages that I've preached over the years on demonic oppression, how to get set free, how to not fall back in the trap of demonic oppression, and all this. I'm thinking, My Lord, what if I did not talk to this person? Because, again, I was so tormented for so many years. And to think that she would still be living that way if I didn't say something. And so that was my first flight. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to sleep on the second leg. And I had another three-hour flight. So I'm like, I am sleeping. i got an ILC. seat. I am pumped. I'm already relaxed. And, again, I close my eyes just to communicate to everybody that I don't want to talk. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And then this gentleman like, kind of is getting laid on the plane because I thought I had, like, an open seat next to me. And I was... Yes. And then this huge man comes up to me and he's like, hey, um, I'm supposed to be in the middle, but I'd appreciate would you be uh will you just move in the middle so I can stretch my legs on the aisle? And I'm like in my head, I'm like, rude. No. Like, I'm tired. And then I just go, I was like, okay, shoot, I'm gonna have to sit by him for three hours. So I don't want to be rude. I need to act like a Christian. And I said, oh, sure, no problem. (laughs) I was so mad. I was so mad. So now I'm crammed in between two huge people, and I just want to sleep. And then, again, I made the mistake before I closed my eyes. I glanced over, and I saw that he was reading a book. It was like the search for truth or search for something religious. I'm like, oh, my God. (sighs) And I literally felt the Holy Spirit say, he's like, I'm going to give you sweet sleep tonight. So I was like, Thank you, because I don't always sleep well, and, and so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, so then of course, I'm like, so what's the book about, and we start talking. He's on his search for something. He told me that he had just got out of prison a few months ago, and he was carrying all this guilt and shame because he made this stupid mistake. And his three teenage kids had to fend for themselves for months while he was in prison. And they had lost so much. They lost everything financially. He carried all this dad guilt and all this stuff. And then the, the dis- decision he made, they got him into jail. He just felt like a horrible person. And um, and he was flying out to San Diego for a long weekend to take this job that was going to pay him a lot of money to try to, like, help cover some of the stuff that he had lost you know and then he starts telling me how his fiance just was murdered by her jealous ex-boyfriend he said it never it, we, i'm from a small town and this stuff never happened so it took the whole town like a uh, back and he said for three days they couldn't find her body so me and my kids and the community were scouring the forest and on the third day we found her body and so then he's dealing with all this anger and hatred and trauma. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So we're just like talking and I'm ministering to him and I'm encouraging him not to hold onto the hatred and this and that because it's gonna turn him into someone he doesn't want to be. And and we just, I was just, I spoke into his life and he was talking about like how he's a loser and he's never gonna see it. I'm like, stop saying that. Stop cursing yourself. I'm like, do you know what the Bible says? And, and I just started talking to him about like these ungodly beliefs he had about himself that will never amount to anything. And then we talked f- about forgiveness and all of these things. And then I was like, hey, I know you're in town for only four days, but I think you should totally visit our church. And he's like, I think I'm going to do that. So I gave him an invitation card. I was preaching here on the Sunday. He attended our Balboa location and he brought all the co-workers with him to the 830 service. They all, they responded to the message. He emails me and he said, it was destiny that we met on that plane. That service was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. And I'm like, oh my gosh, again, like, What if I didn't take that opportunity on that plane? And sometimes we have to get over ourselves and sometimes it feels like an inconvenience, but when we know it's our calling, it's not an inconvenience. It's our mandate, it's our mission. And to think about I'm gonna give up an opportunity to maybe spare someone from the grip of hell for my temporary comfortability and preferences in the moment, I pray to God that eternity rings so loudly in my ears that I will always set aside my preferences in those moments. Have I failed before? Absolutely I have, but can we be reminded today, you have no idea what a hello or a conversation starter is gonna lead to for these people that are hurting and lost in this world and need Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. The third and final point, I need us all to understand that we are all qualified to be ministers of the gospel, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I said before, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. We're going to make mistakes, and that's the beauty of grace. However, if you've been saved for a day or for a decade, you are qualified. You don't have to know all the things about the Bible. You never will. There will always be things you don't understand, and you're still learning and growing in. But if you know Jesus as your Savior, you will know enough. And you may not have the answers to people's questions, but all you can say is, I don't know all the answers to your questions, but all I do know is that I was once this, but now I am found. I was once sick in my body, and now I am healed. I was once addicted, and now I am set free. I was once broken and insecure, and now I'm full of confidence and, 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 and grace. Like, it's what is your testimony? there's an amazing passage of scripture in the bible it's the woman at the well probably many of us have read that story but it's a woman at the well and she had um, slept with multiple men and she had many husbands and even the person that she was with um, in that moment in her life was not her husband yet she was sleeping with him and she went out to collect water at the well and she encounters jesus at the well she doesn't know he's jesus he didn't say hey i'm jesus christ your lord and savior he just started talking to her and 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 just telling her things about her life like there was a word that. he was giving this woman just in a moment just moments he's sharing with her something and then the bible says in john 4:29 through 30 she it says she, the bible says she left her water jugs and ran to the city and then it says she goes into the city and says come see a man who told me all the things that i ever did could this be the christ like with a question then they went out of the city and came to jesus she knew nothing she didn't even know for sure If he was the right guy, all she knew is, oh my gosh, you have something. You're speaking to me. You're loving me. You're having grace for me. And she dropped her jugs and just said, I don't even know. This is the right guy, but he could be the guy. So come and see. And the whole city went out and spent time with Jesus. She knew nothing. You're all qualified. She knew Nothing. She was just impacted with an encounter with Jesus. That's all she knew. She didn't know the Bible. She didn't have the Bible. It wasn't written yet. But she impacted an entire city for Jesus because she was willing to tell people, at least come and see. At least come and see. And please do not be discouraged if you are rejected or turned down or they won't receive an invitation or they turn down your offer to pray with them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, I planted the seed in your hearts and then Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. You could just be another seed planted in that person's heart and God's gonna water it and he's gonna bring other people like this, Apollos care into, into their lives and, and God does the saving. We are just the conduit of communicating that they need a savior, but God does the saving. So when we remember that most people are desperate and searching for the truth, and if we could be prepared, set in our minds that this is something we're going to do, and we've prayed for opportunities, you need to know that you are qualified. You are qualified, and I'm, I'm so hopeful And that's why we have these invitation cards because sometimes this is literally going to be all that they need. So I would love if everyone would actually take a pack of these. They're wrapped up in a bundle of six. We like to make a little joke about it saying it's a six pack. So most people are trying to get a six pack but our goal is to lose our six pack by Sunday. Lose your six pack by Sunday. And I am so hopeful because I know the struggles and the pains that are out there. But this is where people are healed. And I am so looking forward to seeing more and more new faces come into this house where they can have that transformational story and testimony of their own and what God did in their life. You're all ministers of reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Let's just give God a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. And I would just love if everyone would just close their eyes and bow their heads for a moment. I'm not too foolish to think that there's people in this congregation that maybe came in for the first time today. Or maybe you've been coming. or And you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. There's a battle over your soul. And I'm telling you, friends, this is why you're in this house today to realize there's a battle of life and death, light and dark, heaven and hell over your soul, and there is an eternity. And we wanna give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. If you have never made that decision, while no one else is looking around, I would love to include you in a prayer. If that is you and you need forgiveness, you need a fresh start, you need Jesus, can you just lift your hand so I can see it, and then once I see it, you can put it down. In the back, I see you all the way. On the second row here, beautiful, beautiful. I see your hand. Who else are we waiting on? Thank you, Lord. Yes, I see you, sir. Yes, towards the back, I see you in the black t-shirt. Praise you, Jesus. battle of life and death who else am I waiting on anyone else thank you Jesus let's all say this prayer together and especially those of you who lifted your hand or maybe you wanted to lift your hand but I ended too soon will you all just repeat this prayer after me dear Jesus thank you For dying on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven forgive me set me free help me walk with you all the days of my life I thank you for the transformation that's coming and I declare today that I am saved and that heaven will be my home in Jesus name